Well, I have the privilege of bringing us God's Word this morning. If you have a Bible or if you can search on your app, I'm going to be reading from the book of 1 John. We're looking at 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. And if you can choose your translation, I'm going to be reading uh, from the NIV, the New International Version. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. This is the reading of God's Word. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, it's the last Sunday uh, before Christmas, and if you've been with us, you know that we've been in an Advent series uh, where we've looked at the four themes of Advent. So far, we've looked at hope, peace and joy, these things that all of us are, are desperately longing for in this life but can't seem to find on our own. Um, and, and Christmas is the story of heaven breaking into earth. It's God taking on flesh to bring us the hope, peace, and joy all of us so desperately long for. And I think it's very fitting that we're, we're concluding our series today with the, to the topic of love. Because love is different from hope, peace, and joy. Hope, peace, and joy are gifts that God brings, uh, brings to us. Uh, but the Bible tells us that love is who God is. We just read it in 1 John 4, 8. God is love. It's his identity. It's the truest part about him. It's who he is. It's who he has always been. When a person says he or she is a doctor, you know, uh, a person is not born a doctor right? That is not who they are. That is what they do. Um, you know, to be a doctor is a title that was bestowed on that person as a result of their education, their training, or their expertise. So they became a doctor, and one day they will retire from being a doctor. But when we say that God is love, what we're saying is that this is who God is. This is who God has always been. It is who he has been forever. Before the world was created, there was love, because there was God. Before time and space were created, there was love, because there was God. Well, who was God loving uh, when, when there was no one to love? Well, he was loving himself. And that sounds like a little narcissistic, um, but, but we believe that God exists in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so, Though God always loved himself, he was never by himself. He was always in a community of love, enjoying, loving, and glorifying one another before time began. And so when John, what John is trying to convey to us here in verse 7 when he says, love one another for love comes from God, he's saying that when we love, we're being swept up into something so much bigger than ourselves. When we show love to another human being on this earth, we're being swept up into something that has existed before time itself, before you and I 
ever existed. And so when people say God created the world because he needed love or because he needed someone to love him, that's just not true. Because God was love in and of himself. God had all the love he needed in his being. And so when he created the world, he created it not because he lacked anything, not because he needed love. He created the world out of an abundance of the love that he had. He couldn't help himself but to express that love through creation. And so all this to say, any conversation around love has to begin with God because it's who he is. How can you have a conversation about something without talking about the thing defined by that thing? But you see, this is exactly what we do in our day and age, right? We're living in a culture right now that's constantly defining and redefining what love is. I mean, is there a word more misunderstood than the word love? I mean, the same word that we use to describe the way we feel about our ch children, we use to describe the bagel we ate this morning, right? love it so much right? we struggle to say i love you to our significant other but it's so easy to say it to the person who bought us lakers tickets I love you so much bro right what is this thing love what is this elusive thing that we use every day but we have no idea what it really means and where is god in all of it because if god is love then we can't know love unless we know god Okay, and uh, in our text today, the Apostle John is showing us what the love of God looks like. And he's saying, you need to know what real love looks like so that you can go out and share that love with others. Because if you don't know what real love looks like, then you will love people the way you want to love them, not the way God loves them. Right, and he spells it out for us in verses 9 and 10. He says this, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. John is saying, you want to know what real love is? It looks like this. And there's so much to unpack here, but I think the first thing we can learn about God's love is that it's an embodied love. It's a love that looks like presence. It's a love that looks like nearness. God could have shown his love from a distance, right? I mean, that's how we love people in 2021. And I'm not talking about the pandemic. Obviously, the pandemic has forced all of us uh, to be quarantined and, and physically separated from our loved ones. But I'm talking about ourselves as a culture in this generation. We love people from a distance, from our phones, from our devices, from the comfort of our own homes. We can send someone warm thoughts and love across the world without changing anything about our lives. That's the world we live in. And God could have showed his love that way too because he created the universe. He sits outside of the universe. He could have showed his love from a distance, and yet he did it. John says he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. He loved us by coming into our world. He loved us by becoming one of us, eating with us, laughing with us, crying with us, going to work like us, experiencing loss and betrayal like us. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and He dwelt among us. He dwelt among us. He didn't just stop by. He didn't just hit like and move on. He dwelt 
among us. You know, dwelling, I think, is a lost art form in our day and age. When I was growing up, I grew up in Orange County, and we always went out to eat. But the best part of that day was never the eating. It was always the loitering you did in the parking lot for like three hours after you finished eating. Um, you would leave, and you would just sit there. There was nowhere to go. There was nothing else to do. And you were just there with your friends, talking, dwelling, staying. And yet, as you get older and as you get more busy and distracted, and I look at uh, kids who are growing up today, just so many opportunities for distraction now. Dwelling is a lost art form. I mean, dwelling anywhere is a waste of time. You know, I can tell you as a pastor in ministry, there is a huge temptation to think about people as, you know, checks off of a to-do list. Who do we need to invite to our home? Who do we need to have dinner with? Who do we need to reach out to? Who do we need to visit? And it's like, check, check, check. And dwelling anywhere with one person for too long is generally seen as a waste of your time and energy. It's not efficient at all. And yet, when we look at the scriptures and we, when we look at how God loves, this is how he loves. Inefficiently present. Dwelt among us. You know, I think it's very interesting that the Bible says Jesus, God loved the whole world, and yet he didn't show up to the whole world. He spent all his time on earth with 12 people, eating with them, drinking with them, investing in their lives, being fully present for them. This is how he loved. Okay? So number one, we learn that God's love is an embodied love. It's a love that manifests itself through presence. Number two, Second thing we learn about God's love here in 1 John is that it's a vulnerable love. Look at verse 10. It says, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Do you know how vulnerable it is to love someone who doesn't love you back? That's why on Sundays, I only go up to the kids that I know love me. And I'm like, come here, give Uncle Jason a hug, right? Because you look foolish, when you go up to a child that you know may not love you back and you don't want to stand there with your arms open and then walk away awkwardly, right? And yet this is how God loved. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. It's easy to love someone who loves you. Very easy to love someone who loves you. Very difficult to love someone who you don't know loves you the same amount you love them. It's a vulnerable love. It's a foolish love. You know, that's why we all learn how to play it cool. We all learn that you can't let on that you like someone too much because the moment you do, you're vulnerable. The moment you do, you know now you can get hurt. Now you can get your heart broken. Now you have something to lose. That's why many of us don't want to commit to a relationship because we don't want to get hurt. We don't want to tell someone we love them and then have them disappoint us later. We don't want to fall in love and have, have to be hurt and have to be heartbroken. And yet God is different. God puts his entire heart on his sleeve. He's so in love with his people that even when they want nothing to do with them, he can't stop pursuing them. He's the shepherd who leads the 99 in the open country to go after the one. He's the woman who turns her entire house upside down searching for that one lost coin. He's the father who runs to the prodigal son who has come home, undignified, shameless, 
foolish. You know, growing up, um, my dad was the dad, uh, you know, at every school performance who set up his huge tripod in the middle of the aisle. This was before smartphones were a thing, and he had this phone that was like the size of a bazooka. I mean, I mean, a camera that was like the size of a bazooka, and then he would set it up, and even while I was on stage, I was like, God, Dad, no, he's doing it again. You know, like, it's so embarrassing. You know, and you hear people like groaning on the sides because he's getting in people's way and they can't see their own kids. And I'm just like, why do you do that? He doesn't care. He doesn't mind looking foolish because all he cares about are his kids. And I thought I would be different. And I know my wife thought she would be different, but she's sitting here in the front row. It's not because she likes to hear me speak. <laughs> right? I mean, we... We'll do anything for our kids. We don't mind being foolish. We don't mind if people laugh at us. There is no image, no pride, no reputation. We need to protect when we love someone. And, and you know, when I think about God, when I think about the way God came into the world, you think he was trying to play it cool? He could have come as any he couldn't come in any form, and yet he chooses to come as a baby. A baby who needs to be fed, who needs to have his butt wiped. A baby in a manger. And then think about the way Jesus lived. He lived as a nomad who was dependent on others for housing and financial support. I mean, that, I mean back in those days, that was taking that person's man card away from them. And then think about the way the God of the universe died, naked, hung on a cross. He came into the world naked, and he left the world naked, vulnerable, weak, as if to show us that when you love someone, vulnerability and weakness are part of the package. You know, Queen Elizabeth once famously said that grief is the price we pay for love. Grief is the price we pay for love. Isn't, isn't that so true? When we love someone, we inevitably place ourselves in situations where we will have our hearts broken. Every parent in this room knows when you have kids, you are asking for grief because you know that that's the price you pay for love, and this is the love of God. It's one that isn't self-protecting, it's not self-preserving, it's all in, it's undignified, it's completely vulnerable. So God demonstrates a love for us that's embodied, he demonstrates a love for us that's vulnerable, and finally, he demonstrates a love for us that's self-giving. I was gonna use the word sacrificial here, but I'm using the word self-giving because I understand that you can be sacrificial and still be extremely self-serving. You know, if you're Asian American in this room, it's part of our culture, right? We often equate love with sacrifice. And sometimes you sacrifice your entire life for someone only to realize later on you didn't sacrifice anything for them, you were really sacrificing for yourself. You know, when we think about the prodigal son story and you think about the older brother, why was he so upset? He was so upset because he looked at the father and he said, what is, like, what's going on? I'm the one who has broke, broken my back for you every single day of my life. I've done everything for you. I stayed. 
Why does little bro get the ring and the robe and the celebration? What's going on? Look at how much I sacrificed for you. And in that moment, you realize, did he really sacrifice because he loved his father or did he really sacrifice to get something out of it for himself? And yet the love of God is completely self-giving. Here in 1 John 4, we see a love that is different from the world's love, that is different from a, for a, from a love that gives with strings attached. Listen to what it says. It says, John, John says, God sent his one and only son into the world. His one and only the son that was with him from the very beginning, the son with whom he shared unbroken fellowship, the son whom he loved with all the love in his being, he sent that son into the world as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You ever receive a gift that you knew you could never repay because of how precious it was to the giver? This is that gift. You know, this week, um, I, I, I read the story of Brooke Eaton, and she lost her two-year-old son um, in a tragic drowning accident. And uh, it was just a horrible tragedy. And in the 11th hour, you know, just when, before it was too late, this brave mother um, made a difficult choice to donate her son's organs in hopes that it might save another child in need. And it did. Um, what she didn't realize is that um, her son's heart would end up saving a five-month-old little girl named Lola Bond, who was born with a rare heart condition. And in 2019, uh, Brooke met this little girl for the first time and got to hear her son's heart beating inside of her. And it was just an emotional moment and everyone in the room was crying and I'm watching this video and I'm thinking, what is it like to be Lola's parents right now? What can you say or do in that moment to repay this woman and her son for the gift that they've given them? There's nothing. There's nothing that could come close and God sending his one and only son into the world is that gift. Romans 11 says, who has ever given to God that God should repay him? There was nothing in it for God because there is nothing that could possibly come close to being worth his only begotten son. So why then did God do it? If he didn't need to do it, if he didn't lack anything, why did he do it? Because God couldn't help himself. Because if God is love, then he can only do that which is loving even if that means giving every ounce of his being for the ones that he loves, even at great cost to himself. You see, what you had before the beginning of time was this triune community of love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, loving, enjoying, glorifying each other. And out of an abundance of that love, God created all things and he created humanity and he said, join us in this love fest that we're having. Join us. I want you to experience this love. Well, what happened? Genesis 3 happened. The serpent entered the picture and interfered with that loving community and began to pull humanity away from the source of their love. And so humans, not knowing what to do, began to search for love in all the wrong places. Because once they were separated from the source of their love, they, they, they started looking for the love that they so desperately needed. And so all they could find was a counterfeit love, a love that was distant, not present 
a love that, that loved through power and domination, not a love that embraced weakness and vulnerability, a love that gave with strings attached, not a love that was completely selfless and self-serving. And God, looking at all this, had no obligation to do anything. And yet, what did God say? He said, I won't let my children, whom I love so much, live in this world without knowing what real love is. And so if that means I have to leave my heavenly throne and become one of them to bring them back to myself, that's what I'll do. This, my friends, is the love of God. It's an embodied love. It's a vulnerable love. It's a self-giving love. But then John doesn't stop there. He goes on to say in verses 11 and 12, he says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. That phrase made complete can also be translated made perfect or brought to its fullest expression. What John is saying is that you and I can only experience the full magnitude of God's love for us when we start to love others. You can't separate the two. You can't say that you love God and then go up, turn around and hate your brother or sister. Because if you do, you will only understand God's love on an intellectual level. It's only when we begin to love one another that God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Throughout the Bible, you will be hard-pressed to find many verses where the love of God is not accompanied by a command to love one another. John 13, 35, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. John 15, 12, love each other as I have loved you. And then here in 1 John 4, 11, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And I didn't even read verses 19 to 21 in the same section that says, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. There's no way around this. If the truest thing about God is his love, and we are created in his image, then we are our truest selves only when we love. And John would go as far as to say that if we are not loving others, we probably do not know God. We probably don't know him. Put another way, no matter how much you say you know about God, if your life doesn't look or feel like love, you probably don't know him. Let me tell you this. We have a lot of uh, theologically astute people in our congregation. A lot of people who've grown up in the church who know a lot about God, but let me just say this. If your theology does not make you a more loving person, you should probably re-examine your theology. Because what is theology? It's the way we think and talk about God. So how can we possibly think and talk about God in a way that's not loving when God in his very essence is love? I find it often sad that sometimes the people who seem to know the most about God seem to lack the most compassion and grace when they talk to other people. You see it all over Twitter. You see it all over social media. Let me tell you something. The demons... They knew a lot about God. 
They probably knew more about God than every person in this room. They knew their theology. They knew more about God than you would know if you went to seminary. But even though they knew about God, we know that they didn't really know Him because they didn't know love. And God is love. I was a history major in college, so I used to love reading biographies. And some biographies are amazing because you get to learn a lot about a person. You actually, some biographies, you actually get to learn a lot about a person's childhood, about their life. But everyone here knows that no matter how detailed a person's biography is, you can only learn so much about that person. You can't really know a person unless you live with that person, unless you're in a relationship with that person, unless you live and breathe and eat with that person. You can't really know a person unless you're with them. When people ask me, how do I know that I'm following Jesus? Because there are so many things that are so hard to understand about the Bible. In 2021, there are so many social issues and political issues I'm concerned about. There are so many things even Christians, it seems like, are disagreeing on. Like, how do I know I'm doing this right? I'm so anxious. I, I keep feeling like I'm following Jesus in the wrong way. I tell them the same answer every time. Does your life look and smell like love? Does it look and smell like love? And I'm not talking about warm, fuzzy feelings. When other people look at your life, when other people look at the way you move through the world, when other people look at the way you treat others who offer no benefit to you, when others uh, look at the way you make decisions and how you spend your time and money, will they say that life looks and smells like love? If it does, it probably means you're doing it right. If it doesn't, you probably have to re-examine some things. Because if you spend enough time around someone, that person will undoubtedly begin to rub off on you. You will begin to talk like them. You will begin to act like them. You may even begin to look like them. Right? A lot of married couples in here look like each other. Okay? Kind of weird sometimes. Okay? There was an article in Medium published in 2018 that was titled, You Are the Average of the Five People You Spend the Most Time With. And the premise of the article is that the five people you spend the most time with are the biggest influences on our behavior, attitude, and results that who we are in relationship with ultimately sets the trajectory of our lives. And I think we would all agree with that. We would all agree that we have been so shaped by the community that has been a part of our lives. Um, a Harvard social psychologist, David McClellan, says the people you spend most of your time with determine as much as 95% of your success or your failure in life. 95%. And why? It's because their opinions, their habits, their behaviors will inevitably rub off on you. And if you spend enough time around God, and the Bible says God is love, his love will inevitably begin to rub off on you because love is the essence of who God is. It's who He is. You know, when we read the Christmas story, it's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful story of love breaking into the world in this world full of hate and violence and division. And it's a story all of us could use in 2021 because that's the world we live in right now. But as followers of Jesus, I want to tell you this morning, you don't have to just read about it. 
the, the, it, we're invited to participate in it. The Christmas story allows us, is an invitation for us to join God in the work of sharing His love in this world that desperately needs it. You and I can embody that love today and tomorrow and every day. I want you to take a moment right now, think about one person in your life. You may not love the whole world, but I guarantee you there's somebody in your life that you know needs love, that you know could really use the love of God right now. Let me tell you something. You don't need to just tell them about God's love. You can show them God's love. And you're not going to show them perfectly, but maybe there's one aspect of the love of God that we read about today that you can embody in your own life to that person. For some of us, the invitation this morning is just to learn how to be fully present for someone, to dwell with someone. This Christmas season, to not see them as just a check off the to-do list, but to really sit with them. I mentioned this last week, but the Christmas season for many of us is a joy-filled, happy time. But for a lot of us, it's a time full of grief. It's such a heavy time because we think about the loved ones that we've lost. We think about those who, who don't have family to be with during the holiday season, who are alone. These are people who need embodied presence. What does that look like for you to be that embodiment? For some of us, the invitation this morning is to learn vulnerability, to learn how to give yourself to someone who may turn around and disappoint you. A lot of times I think we grow cynical and we say, what's the point of doing something nice for this person? Or what's the point of reaching out to this person when they're not going to reciprocate? Well, the love of God is not that we have loved God, but that God loved us. What does that look like for you? And finally, maybe for some of us, the invitation this morning is to simply surrender. To surrender our needs, our preferences, our comfort for the sake of another person. To enact that self-giving love that Jesus shows us in coming to the world, but also dying naked on the cross. What does that look like for you? Whatever it is, we have now about a week until Christmas. May this sermon... May this service, may this word be an invitation for all of us to not just receive love on Christmas this year, but to give it and to allow the love of God to be completed in all of us. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for coming into this world. We thank you for leaving your heavenly throne for sinners who were running from you, and yet you pursued us. We thank you for showing us a love that we can't find in this world, a love that is so transcendent, that is holy, that is different. And we rest in that love this morning. God, we know that so many of us sitting in this room, so many in our communities, so many in our families, our friends, are desperately 
searching for love. They are either uh, feeling hurt because of love that has been lost. Perhaps they've been told by authority figures or family members growing up that they're unworthy of love unless they produce something or perform in a certain way. And we're just living in a time when people feel like they can't be themselves to be loved. And I pray that we would allow this morning for the Christmas story to resonate deep within our hearts because it's a story of God coming to us as we are and reminding us that we are loved simply because we're His. So Lord, I pray that now you would empower us to be embodiments of your perfect love to those around us in our homes, in our relationships, in our workplaces, in our schools, that we would embody presence, that we would embody vulnerability, that we would embody surrender in the way we give ourselves for the sake of others. We thank you for this message. We thank you for this season. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.